Blog Talk Radio. Do you ever wonder when you read the Bible, is your story in the stories that you read as well? We'll talk about that coming up next right here on the Parker J. Cole Show. Welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I'm your host, the Queen, Parker J. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my returning guest, co-host, and contributor today, David Waddell. I always enjoy having David on my show, and today is no different. We're going to be discussing his book, Characters of the Bible, Finding My Stories in Their Stories. There is a misconception in our current times that the Bible is not relevant that it is so far removed from current day that we need to just abandon its edicts, abandon its scripture, just abandon it completely. But we constantly find out that every time we try to get rid of the Lord, we just can't because he is not going to be thrown out of his world, out of everything that he has done for us. And in this book, Characters of the Bible, we learn that the people in the Bible, although they existed thousands of years ago, their story reflects in our stories. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for 10 years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff. See what you can do. As always, we cover your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net. Click that pink follow button. You'll never miss a show. Subscribe to our new YouTube channel for uploads, updates, and more. Go ahead, subscribe today. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring on Dave. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing fabulous, Parker. Very good to be with you again. And I always enjoy our times together. We have such a good time. To our dear listeners, me and Dave crack each other up. But I love Dave a lot because he understands the necessity of humor. And humor in our life is so important, particularly now where no one wants to laugh anymore. (laughs) Everyone wants to be so serious and so conscientious of not offending people or not saying the wrong thing. And sometimes we got to take a step back and laugh. I can remember when we did that show and how we just talked about humor is something that God gave us, wouldn't you say? Yes, indeed. In fact, on a daily basis, I give myself material uh, just by watching my own life to laugh over and over again. Yeah, and this actually is a theme that comes up in characters of the Bible that you wrote because some of these people do the craziest things and then you realize, hey, I did the exact same thing, too. It's just a different setting, literally. It's just modern technology versus ancient technology. And so when you pick up your copy of Characters of the Bible, Finding My Stories and Their Stories, you're going to be filled with just humor, interesting antidotes, and more. So go ahead, pick up your copy of Characters in the Bible, Finding My Stories and Their Stories by Dave, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Go ahead, get it today. What I like about this book, first of all, is the cover, because the cover has these different people doing different things. But what's really funny is there's some hand (laughs) behind the grass here, and it's just hanging out. You're like, who is this person behind the grass? And you go, oh, wait, that's Abel. (laughs) So so 
I guess you couldn't show him being blood splattered on the ground here. <laughs> so for a minute, I was a little confused. Like, why is that just a hand? And then I was like, oh, wait, that's Abel. <laughs> that poor Abel. I don't think he has a long chapter in the Bible. <laughs> so when you were coming up with this book, Characters of the Bible, tell me what was that nugget of idea that said this book has to be written? I think what it was, Parker, is we tend to deify regular people in the Bible. One example I give is Abraham was told he would have a child, but it took 25 years to get his wife pregnant. Now, it's covered in like four or five chapters in Genesis, but when you take 25 years times 365, that's the number of days he woke up and thought, maybe today. And that's the number of nights he went to bed and thought, well, not today. And nothing in our lives that God's involved with comes in a hurry unless we want it to come in a hurry. But we've made Abraham into this almost God thinking, well, 25 years, no problem. Well, someone mentioned to me 30 years ago was 1993. I was thinking it was 1973. Oh, my gosh. And you're kind of sitting there like, Okay, Abraham is waiting, and we know how it is for us to wait an hour. If we have to wait an hour for something, if I send you a text, how come you have not responded back to me right away, okay? Because I text you, your phone is right on your hip like everyone else's is, right? And you're like, no, I was actually living my life. (laughs) I wasn't glued to my phone. I think one of the things that hit me most, though, Joseph, the patriarch, not the earthly father of Jesus, but Joseph of Genesis, Everyone felt sorry for him. He sold into slavery by his brothers. He he was in prison. And everyone kind of gives him the sympathy. But Parker, I was the middle of three boys growing up. And I know when Joseph got that coat of many colors, he probably just didn't hang it in the closet and modestly walk around in his regular clothes. Being a brother, I know he, he flaunted that in front of the others and poked fun at him. And I found a similar experience where when mom would bring candy home from the store, my brothers would eat theirs right away. I would hide mine for weeks or months later and then tantalize them with it. Right. (laughs) Right. You said he's, you know, it's interesting that you say that because Joseph was also a tattletale. Okay. And so I don't think it was a bad thing that the brothers wanted to kill him because he was always tattletaling on them. And that's why when he, then he has this really coat, we already know daddy doesn't like us. And then you bring this coat with all these colors. You know, this coat takes a long time to build together. And now you're going, hey, you guys like my coat? (laughs) And he's like, he'll drop it. Oh, see that bright coat? Because it took a lot of time to create a multicolored coat. Exactly. And I've made the comment in the book that if there was a Greek caravan coming through independence at that time, my brothers would have sold me in the slavery. They would have sold you, like, guess, and then they would have probably got the dog. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't going to get rid of her. No, they like, something happened, you know. But I like that you want us to make sure that we humanize these people that we have deified in the scripture. And it's not that you want to take away from the message of faith that they represent, but it helps us to put them into perspective because I'm pretty sure if Abraham was in 2023 and saw how his memory 
is uplifted, he'd probably freak out. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, you guys do know it was difficult back then, right? And all these other kind of things they were doing. So we're going to go through just several of the stories in the Bible to see if we can find our story in their stories. Before I do that, Dave, go ahead and just share with us what readers can expect when they pick up their copy. Uh, what you can expect is short stories. I write in what I call an attention deficit disorder. It's going to be two or three pages long, but it's going to be a part of my life compared to a part of a biblical character's life and the similarities we made in either making a mistake and committing a sin or just in being stupid. And the fact that the hope that comes out of that is that we are just like people who got their name in the best-selling book ever. Our story just hasn't completely been written yet. And I wonder, with all the technology that we have, we leave an imprint forever because they're on some server. People can copy and paste. They can download. And I wonder if one day our story, if the Lord tarries and the human race continues, what will our stories be to the people who come after us? That, and that's one of the inspirations I have for writing, Parker, is that I impact so many people in my classes, in the churches I've worked at and attend. The books are going to outlive me. And so hopefully someday someone will look and say, gosh, you know, that Dave Waddell is just like Simon Peter, but look what he ended up doing when he gave his life over to Christ. I'm going to read a quick excerpt here. It says, it amazes me that some of the people who got their names and stories in the best-selling book of all time were some of the most flawed characters in the world. I find comfort in the fact that I am just as flawed and goofy and wrong and misdirected as they are. It is through the lives of these characters that I see so much of myself. I have an idea that you might find yourself in a couple of the characters as well. As I look at their situations, I see my life play out. Their story is my story. Their sin is my sin. I also know their victory will be my victory when I meet some of them in heaven. Oh, will we have some stories to share? And I think that's the point. Stories, generally speaking, are bridges of communication and bridges of connection. And their story connects us eternally to the Father, if you will, because these stories have been passed down for millennia, and here we are still talking about them in 2023. Now, some people may say, well, shouldn't the Bible go out of style? And my mom said, the Lord never ran out of anybody, and the Lord will always be relevant, and he will always be and have an important part in our life. That's why you have people who, during the pandemic, especially, Bible reading went up. It didn't go down. And version have reported this massive influx of people downloading the app, asking questions, prayer time. All of that started happening during the pandemic. And as we come out of it, you kind of see that people are floundering about looking for meaning. And the only way they're going to find it is in the Lord Jesus and in the Bible. So let's go ahead and get started to it. Now, we're going to start with someone we know very well. And that's the first man that took a breath, and his name is Adam. So let's talk to Adam, and you have his subtitle and his story, Pass the Buck. So let's go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> well, Adam is so typical of humanity because when we're confronted with something we've done wrong, the first thing we do is to try to find someone else to blame. And this is one of those stories, uh, Parker, 
when I was uh, working at a church while I was in seminary, the youth pastor and I, I was the recreation pastor, we were playing a game of tag and we ran through one room and I tried, he closed the door on me. So when I opened it, I pulled it quickly and the doorknob went right through the sheetrock wall. So we both swore each other to secrecy. But when they asked me about it, because I was in charge of the building, it was, it was the recreation center, they asked me about it. And I said, oh, those neighborhood kids that come in. Blame them, Dave. <laughs> Blame them. And because people had been up there when neighborhood kids were up there, they saw that they could be rough or tumbly or, you know, aggressive. And so they just said, okay. In the preface of the book, I mentioned that there may be some things that no one knows about until now. And that's one of them. I never told that church the truth. And when I went back a few years ago to try, the church was shut down. So I still live with that riding over my head. But it was so easy, Parker. It wasn't me. It was them. And when Adam was confronted about his eating of the apple, and I'll note for those of us that have always thought it was the woman's fault, God didn't seek Eve out about the fruit. He sought Adam. And Adam said, and it was the double whammy I love, he said, it was that woman you made for me. So not only was it the woman, but it was the one you, God, made. So it's really your fault. Yeah, passing the buck. That's something you do without any help at all. <laughs> I was going to read that quick section here. There's more to the story, obviously, so make sure you pick up your copy. But it says here, when God chased Adam down, he asked him what had happened. Adam said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. How convenient. It wasn't me, it was thee. In one bold sentence, Adam shifted the blame to the woman as well as to God for the woman he put here. When the woman was questioned, she immediately blamed the serpent. The serpent probably looked around and couldn't find anyone else to blame, thus remained silent. <laughs> he couldn't pass the buck anymore, that's for sure. Well, he probably didn't have hands at the time. We never know. But at the same time, it shows this human capacity to not want to take responsibility for our actions. And there's another important part here that I would love for you to bring out about this fall from grace that we all experience as it deals with Adam and Eve, who we blame for it. Yeah, the fall, I think where you're trying to go with this, is it set up a system where we earned our way to love rather than just being loved. The sin that we committed that someone had to die, and back then it was animals. And so Adam said, why are you hiding? And Adam said, I'm naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? And it was the very sin that made us realize the nakedness, not only of the body, but of our soul. And from that point on, mankind had to try to work their way into God's pleasure. And even the clothing that God made for them was because an animal got destroyed. And so blood sacrifice then paid for the sin. And my problem with that, being like Adam, is that even though now grace is alive and Jesus has paid the price, I still feel like I have to earn it. Yeah. And this becomes an issue, and it's from when our parents fail. And ever since they fell, we've been doing the exact same thing they've been doing. And so I hope you find your story in this story. So instead of revering Adam, and I don't think we shouldn't revere them, but we do need to realize they're people, as my mother says all the time. And Adam passed the buck. 
and Eve passed the buck, and the serpent, <laughs> the poor animal, <laughs> he just has to deal with it. I think about my pet dog, you know, when she does something wrong, she can't pass the buck, so she just runs and hides. <laughs> Puts that tail between her legs. Yes, and... that's what she does. So let's move on in these characters of the Bible, and our hope, dear listeners, for you just to realize how human they are. So the next character in the Bible that we're going to put our magnifying glass on is one, actually two people, Judah and Tamar. And this one says she's guilty. Oops, so am I. Let's go ahead and get some background information for those of people who would like to be just New Testament readers and don't want to read the Old Testament. Go ahead. Let's give them some context. Yeah, the uh, problem is we have so much in common with the Old Testament dysfunctional people that couldn't avoid it. I start off, this is the story, dealing with presidential impeachment. Uh, At that time, only two, at the time of writing, only two presidents had been impeached. One was Richard Nixon, the other was Bill Clinton. Now, Nixon was on a whole nother issue, but Bill Clinton was being impeached because he lied about a sexual encounter. And unfortunately, I had had some inappropriate encounters in my own life that were unknown to others at that time, but that didn't stop me from just ripping Bill Clinton up one wall and down another in a judgmental fit like crazy. Like, he shouldn't be president, he's guilty of sin, get him out, all the while hiding the fact that I was guilty of the same sin that President Clinton was. The story of Judah and Tamar is that Judah would not fulfill his responsibility of providing a husband for his daughter-in-law. The patriarchic law back then was that if one of your sons married a woman and your son died, one of your other sons had to provide the husband. He became the husband, and any children he had belonged to the first husband. And so the second brother said, huh, I ain't doing it. And so Tamar had two choices. One was to be a widow with no hope and no family to go for protection or that day and age to become a prostitute. So she connived this plan where she went to a particular place where Judah would be frequenting and she propositioned him and he paid her with a uh, staff and promised her a goat, I think it was. I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on the story out of the Bible, but he promised her something that when he returned, he would pay her for her services rendered. Well, when he went back, she wasn't there, so he asked about her. They said, there is no temple prostitute here. So he just went back home, started living his life as usual, but then his daughter-in-law ends up pregnant, and Judah is ready to stone her. Like, this is my daughter-in-law. She got pregnant without being married, and let's kill her. And she said, "Uh, very well, but the father of the baby is the one who owns this walking stick. And that's when Judah realized, oops. (laughs) I did it again, right? So... Yeah, and I think his phrase was, my sin is greater than hers. And I should say something here, too, because this is during the Levitical law. This is during a lot of laws that was separating Judah, uh, were separating Israel from the rest of the nations that surrounded them. And adultery was something that would contaminate not just the family, but the nation. So when they were talking about putting adultery away, they're supposed to be not contaminating the people, right? But Judah was just as guilty. He had wives, and he still went out and did something. So it's very interesting how this story plays out. But Judah felt like he was not as at fault at first, because first of all, my daughter-in-law doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have this, doesn't have that. And I'm going to burn her down and all this other kind of stuff, knowing that he could have prevented her sin had he done what he was supposed to do. 
which is to respond, take care of her. And the beauty of this story to me is fast forward, that baby that Tamar had is in the lineage of Jesus. And Parker, had I not gone through my secret sin that I ended up saying my sin is greater than others, I would have never written these books. I would have never been in a place where the stories would have come alive for me so well. So I think the message of hope I'd want to give my readers is you can't mess up so much that God can't use you. I think that's an important point to lead that part of the conversation on only because sometimes we get bogged down by guilt and we get bogged down by I can't forgive myself for this thing. And the Lord says, if I've forgiven you, then you can forgive yourself. And sometimes forgiving yourself is very difficult. So I hope, dear listener, you find your story even in this story that, hey, guess what? There's no sin that's too great that the Lord can't forgive you for. And this has been very important because some people have done some awful things. It doesn't have to be of a sexual nature, but they've killed people, they've robbed people, they've hurt people. And then when it comes to themselves, the Lord reveals their sin to them and he gives them an opportunity to repent and be made clean. The devil wants you to stay in guilt. And the Lord says you don't have to be guilty if you've been forgiven. So I hope you find your story in that story. Now we're going to move on to a lesser known character. Again, in the Old Testament, for those of you who are terrified of the Old Testament, (laughs) this one is Achan. And the title of this is Damage Control. And it's in the book of Joshua. Go ahead and give us some background on this one. All right. So Achan was a guy when they had taken over some of the land on their way to the promised land. They were told that, like, everything is everybody's. Everyone's going to share. We're going to do whatever we claim. It was one of those things where it was to be shared amongst everyone. And Aachen decided he was going to hide some of his stuff. And he literally buried it to hide it. And God revealed it to Joshua that it was hiding. A pastor friend of mine said it this way once. He said, when we expose our sin, God buries it. But if we bury our sin... God exposes it. Wow, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and key point, you know, you can put as many locks as you want on that closet. The skeletons find a way to get out, and they dance at the most inopportune time. <laughs> that's a good way of doing it. Now I have dancing skeletons in my head. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, some would find that humorous. <laughs> Stop. Keep going, Dave. <laughs> My point on this one was I lived with hidden sin for years and I covered myself. And some psychologists say that people hiding things actually increase their brain activity. Like a drug addict that doesn't want anyone know to know they're a drug addict works hard enough to keep it a secret that their brain actually develops cells that helps them in, in an intelligent way, except that our intelligence is being used the wrong way. And Parker, I I went to all kinds of trouble to keep my sin quiet. I was on staff at a a church. And if they'd known I had these inappropriate relationships going on, it would have been an instant firing. And what it took was the same way that I buried mine, my former wife found deleted emails still on the computer. How? I don't know other than God just said, that's enough, Dave. You've, You've hid too long. And I was confronted with it. I resigned the church the next Sunday. They were very good at at setting me up with some accountability. But the point that Aachen teaches me is you can't bury it and hide it. Someone is always going to find it. Sin does not stay dormant. That's very true. That's very true. 
And one thing, too, is that you say here, my sin cost me my wife and a whole lot of strife, but it cost Akin his life. Akin and his family were taken out into a valley where they were put to death by stoning. Enough stones were used to completely bury all the people along with their livestock and possessions. The stones were piled high enough that the area was even named the Valley of Akor. It served as a reminder to people to serve the one true God openly and honestly. And I think we all suffer, and there's no one in the planet that I have to pull out. I could just look in the mirror. <laughs> we all have things we'd rather people not know. We all have it. But he said, if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you for your sins. And like you said, you don't have to worry about the locks that's on them. So yeah, I definitely understand you there. But like you said, you can't do too much damage control because eventually it comes out. But actually, if you think about it, once it's out, once you're exposed, you're done with it. If you think about it, it's like you're done with it. You don't have to keep having that burden on you. And then you can actually go for a life of transformation. And that I know you've experienced that yourself, right, Dave? Exactly. And one lady that read this book within the first year that it was out in uh, the church I attend in Oxford looked at me and said, free at last, free at last. And I mean, it's one of those things, the story's out there. I had a friend that told me, said, you'll never find another wife if you keep telling the story about your sin. And I said, I put it in a book. How am I supposed to not? <laughs> they all know now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, so I mean, if I went with the purest, the driven snow line, it, it'll go away quickly. But I also wouldn't want to marry a woman that didn't know about you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of me. I mean, you take me as I am. And that's a good point, too. And that leads us to the next character in the Bible we're going to talk about, which is the Samaritan woman. Did I hear that correctly? And this, for my New Testament readers, you should know this by heart, is in John 4. Go ahead and give us some background on this one. All right, so this is actually the story of how I met my first wife. We had been flirting some our freshman year of college, and I had had the opportunity to walk her to class on one day. It was raining, so she walked under my umbrella. When we got to the uh, building where her class was, she said, is there any way I can repay you? And I thought to myself, Waddell, if you blow this one, you don't deserve love. <laughs> so I asked her out on a date. And ironically, I mentioned President Nixon earlier. This is Mr. Romance here. We went to see All the President's Men with Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. Great first date movie, huh? Great job. <laughs> Later, we went to the Baptist Student Center and played cards. But the next week, I had a weekend job as a youth pastor at a church 60 miles out of town. So I didn't see her again till Monday for classes. And she makes the comment to me. She said she worked at a place like Target. It was called Venture in Springfield at that time. And she said, I got my schedule for this week. Do you know that Thursday night is my only night off? I said, oh, that's just wrong. That's awful. I know. Thursday's my only night off. Someone came up to the conversation. She said, can you believe I got my schedule and Thursday is my only night off? Someone else walked by. Can you believe this place made me work every night next week except Thursday? Now, Parker, what do you think she was trying to tell me? Thursday. <laughs> what was she trying to tell you, Dave? Go ahead. He was telling me Thursday is the night if you want to ask me out. You know what I heard? What would you hear? That's her only night off. Do not bother her on that night. I knew that you were going to say that, but I didn't want to. Maybe I was wrong. <laughs> nope. 
there are podcasts out there that are for uh, women that are dating men, and the advice they give is don't talk in clues because we're completely clueless. Just tell them. Just say, ask me out for Thursday. <laughs> yes. If you were going to ask me out again, Thursday would be a good night. See, that would have been a better way. I've joked with people that thunder isn't two clouds bumping together. It's God and the angels laughing at men and women trying to communicate. Exactly. <laughs> they probably get a kick out of it. But go ahead and bring it on how it relates to the Samaritan woman. So the Samaritan woman is talking to Jesus, and he's talking about living water. And all she's thinking about is, well, I need some of that living water because then I don't have to walk up that stupid hill with this pot on my shoulder uh, every day in the hot sun. Now, the woman went to the well after everyone else went to the well because she was uh, seen as a sinful woman, the scarlet letter kind of lady. Jesus pointed out she had, uh, I think, four or five husbands and was now living with the man that she wasn't. Everything he said to her, she took in the wrong way. She said, you Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem. We say it's at the mountain where Moses found the Ten Commandments. You Jews say such and such. But when he hit the living water, all she could think about was not having to walk to the well. She completely missed the whole aspect. But later she caught on because she realized that everything answered worship is spirit and truth. It's not a place. Living water is something that wells up within you. And, and so when he said, go get your husband, she said, I don't have one. Her final word was she went back to town and said, you all have to come with me and meet this person that told me everything about me. And so faith was given to the Samaritans on that day when most Jews didn't even want to be around them. Great enough, the former comedian told the story about the woman at the well and said that he made the line to Peter that if the fish that they got for uh, dinner uh, had swam just a little bit more, the fish would have been Jewish. Because uh, the Jews and Samaritans just didn't like each other. James and John, you know, said, uh, you want us to bring down fire from heaven on this? And so they, they just, it was a disconnect like crazy, dysfunctional family, if you will. But the woman kept hearing him wrong, but finally caught it. And that Thursday that I missed, I did show up for work at closing time on Friday and took her to get an A&W root beer at the old A&W root beer stand and started catching on to clues a little better, which led to 28 years of a wonderful marriage. So even men can eventually get the clues that are given. And they can definitely hear correctly. So, so I'm glad that you share that. And what's really nice about this book is that you use incidences in your own life to show that you can have or see your story in their stories. And I think that's important because so many people, like we said earlier in the broadcast, think that the Bible is not relevant, that people do not need it, that we just even some people have, and these are the Christians, mind you, are advocating just to get rid of the Bible or just revamp it to make it more palatable. And the Lord I serve doesn't care if he's palatable to us. We have to be palatable to him, if you think about it. And so lastly, we're going to end on a note. And we're going to end on the what ifs. So Joseph, what if I stop saying what if? And we all know about Joseph, who is the earthly father of Christ. And we tend to revere him because he was the earthly father of Christ. But there's more to the story. Go ahead and tell us about it. And yeah, there is. And I came to this one because after I had resigned from the church, 
I actually worked for four months building fences in the hot Memphis sun. And one of my friends said it was appropriate for a guy who needed to set boundaries in his life to get a job as a fence builder. I was too petty at the time to enjoy the irony of the moment, but now I look back on it and laugh. And so, I mean, I'm sitting there in 95-degree weather with a 95% humidity, and I keep saying, and the what if worked both ways. What if I had hid my sin better? What if I hadn't got caught? What if I'd never taken that first step in the sinful pool? What if I had not done this? What if I had not done that? And it's just, it, what ifs could drive you nuts because you can't do the what if. The what if is gone. Well, it hit me. Joseph was a carpenter, but uh, a pastor pointed this out once that had uh, Judah not sinned and been put in exile, Joseph would have been the king of Judah. So I often wonder if Joseph didn't have those nights where he'd look up into the stars and go, you know, what if Josiah and his reforms had hung on? What if Jehoshaphat hadn't been an idiot? What, you know, he'd be sitting in the throne instead of, you know, massaging his wife's uh, shoulders with splinter-filled hands. The greatest what if ever. And then it goes to the other part. So his fiance ends up pregnant when he's never been with her. He has this dream that says, go ahead and marry her because it's going to be the son of God. Well, I've seen things point black blank that are factual that I still doubt years later. So I wonder how many times and how many times did Joseph get ribbed about Jesus not being his baby? How often did the rumor float? How often were people talking and they suddenly got quiet when he walked up? The what if filled his life. What if something had gone different? And what I came to realize for both Joseph and myself is the what if is one of the greatest ideas of rebellion. Because what I'm saying with the what if is that I know better than God how my life should have played out. I think, too, you bring up an interesting point because Joseph gave Mary respectability, if you will, by continuing to marry her. And they he would have been made fun of. That would have happened. And he would have been the one to have to deal with people questioning, you know, that's not your kid, right? You know, I need to look at his face, see if you look at some of the brothers around here, you know, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And the thing is, he still did what the Lord told him to do. And I believe the Lord honored, in a, in a way it's a sacrifice because he honored Joseph in a way that we still remember Joseph and we don't remember a lot of other people in the Bible. And Joseph often gets a bad rap because we don't know too much about him that he married Mary, he was earthly father of Christ. And then most people assume that he passed away when Christ got older. Recently, for those of you who follow the show, I had a archaeologist on the show who talked about Joseph and the kind of work he would have done. He would have died probably doing work around different cities that so he would have migrated a lot. And he would have probably died in a work accident. And how Jesus would have been heartbroken to lose his earthly father, you know, showing the human side of the Lord Jesus. And I thought about that. And a lot of fathers who do a lot of work. And they don't often get the accolades for that because at the end of the day, a father is just doing his job. That's really what he's doing. I think some of the way that Jesus looked at, at his own calling, at his own God-given command was supported by Joseph. This is the guy that watched the Son of God take his first step. This is the guy that probably played with him in the front yard. 
Uh, this is the guy that took him to the synagogue on a regular basis and taught him devotion. This is the guy that may have taken him fishing. This is the guy that probably had Jesus help him with certain building projects. So, you know, those that have had a father at home know that, you know, Jesus didn't just wake up as a three-year-old and have all the knowledge of the world. God put Joseph there for a specific purpose. And what an honor to be able to be the earthly father of Christ, that the Lord would trust you with this massive responsibility. Because that's why we have to really consider what Christ did. He came down as a helpless baby. And the Lord used this man, this workman. He could have used a king. Because Joseph could have been a king, if you think about it. He could have been a king surrounded by servants, surrounded by prestige, surrounded by royalty, surrounded by that. But the Lord said, I'm going to make you and give you an honor like he, gave, like he did Mary. And you're going to be the earthly father. And you're going to teach me about human relations. You're going to teach me, and I'm saying this in a metaphorical way, kind of, but you're going to teach me how to walk. You're going to teach me how to work with tools. You're going to teach me to eat. You're going to wipe my mouth. You're going to change my diaper. You're going to do all these things. And would a king have done that? Possibly not. And so there's an honor here that Joseph got to be in the trenches with Jesus as his son. I'm going to suggest that Joseph probably taught a lot of scripture to Jesus. There may be times that Joseph would have said, oh, those silly Pharisees, they're at it again. They're just, you know, I look back, my my father's been gone for 20 years. I think sometimes he's not gone because I'll say something and I'll realize I'm him. And so Joseph, I think a lot of the things that Jesus did in compassion and in calling out the Pharisees, may have actually come from both fathers, his heavenly and earthly father. I agree. And that was something the archaeologist, his name is uh, John Isbots, Professor John Isbots. That's what he said. He would have learned a lot about the time period through his father. And they were poor people. They weren't rich. They could have been rich. That's what I'm saying. So if we fool around with the what is, we don't appreciate what we have now. And we don't appreciate what God has given us today. You know, and I think what is keeps us, like you said, is sinful. Because we keep focusing on something we don't have to worry about. <laughs> we can't worry about the what is. <laughs> you know, and I love that you ended this book with what if. You know, instead of asking what if, thank God for the what you have right now. And I think that's important. And so for those of you listening, we just gave you just a sampling, a very small sampling of characters of the Bible, finding my stories and their stories. You can get the whole book by going online today and picking up wherever books are sold. Go ahead, Characters in the Bible, Finding My Stories and Their Stories by David Waddell. And you're going to be blessed just like I was. David, in a few moments we have left, I want you just to spend some time praying for us here because so many people are lost. They feel as if their problems are unique to themselves, that no one else has them, that maybe God has forgotten them, that God couldn't possibly understand what they're going through. And I want you to pray for them today. So I'm going to mute myself and have you pray for us and go as the Lord leads you. I sure will. Thank you, Parker. Father, I I think this thing that I reminded myself out of this session was that you can't mess up enough that you can't be loved by God and and used by you. And Father, there are people that that may catch a hold of this uh, session and are sitting there thinking, No one can be as bad as me. No one's done the things I've done. And yet grace is so rich. 
And Father, I pray that through the stories in the scriptures that they find themselves, and most importantly, that they find themselves in the fact that Jesus, knowing who they are and knowing the situation that they're in right now today, that Jesus said, you know, my life is worth giving up for them. Help them to find peace in this situation. Help them to have the patience to wait through it, just the same as Abraham waited 25 years to see a little baby boy. Father, we know you are graceful and that you are true to your word. We thank you that we can find relevance in a book that was written thousands of years ago and that it's so alive to us today. I pray, Father, that people find themselves in your stories. In Jesus' name, amen. What a lovely prayer, David, and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to pray for us, to share your book with us, and we'll be having you back and having you back real soon. Sounds great, Parker. It's always a joy to be with you. And we were talking today to Dave Waddell. He is the author of the book, Characters of the Bible, Finding My Stories and Their Stories, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Go ahead, pick up your copy today. I hope you were blessed by our conversation today. If you want to reach out to Dave, you know you can. All you got to do is contact him at the link below the show description. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious blessed day. God bless.